You've done a great job at transition for the last one since I've been on piano. Appreciate it. So we are going to have a few of our students come up. It is um, our practice and also a requirement for those that are in internship three to present what they've been working on throughout their senior project. Um, and they actually get a grade for it because they won't need to say it before you guys. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are grading her, okay? So just put A, B, C, F, oh wait, D, Z. <laughs> That's funny, be, be gracious, be kind. So Sadia and Oscar will be the ones presenting today. Um, and Sadia has been with us for quite some time. <laughs> That's funny, it's a running joke, but it's her joke, so it's okay. You know, like when you, she made the joke, so I'm not making fun of her. It's really not how you start, it's how you finish, right? Come on, there's a lot of us in this room. Yes, come on, testify. There's a lot of us in this room today that may have not started so well. Some of us have had to go into restoration. Some of us started living double lives, all that kind of stuff. Start Bible college, have to be kicked out of Bible college or, or take a trimester off. I mean, we all have our own story, and we can look at our own lives and say, man, it's not about how we start right now, where we're at right now, and how we're going to finish our race, right? And how are we going to finish our race? By seeing Jesus. So I'm just excited because this is the last day of school for y'all, right? It's the, la it's the last of many things. <laughs> it's a new season. We can sing that again. You want to sing that together? <laughs> oh, it's, um, it's going to be a good season, you guys. I mean, I'm just so, so thankful for where Jesus is taking us. I'm so thankful for his love, his mercy, his kindness, his grace. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit that guides our steps. He tells us to stay in step with the Spirit of God, not only so we can live holy lives, but so that he could direct our steps, right, so that we can be on the right path. Um, and he's faithful. He's never going to let us down. He's never going to lead us astray so we can trust him. And as we go into the summer, you know, it's an exciting time. You guys don't have assignments due. Even though school will come quickly, as you know, summertime, you can look at your calendar already and be like, it's pretty much over. It's time to start school again. <laughs> but um, uh, I'm really excited for the summer and what God has for us this summer. And I just want you guys to stay focused. So now you don't have to be focused on your schoolwork and ministry so much, but you get to focus just on ministry right? Take the schoolwork out of it. So let's go hard this summer. Amen? Let's go hard. Let's preach the gospel. Let's give it our best in the ministries that we're involved in. And it will set you up for when you start school again. <laughs> You'll know how to give your best and it won't have to take away from, uh, from your ministry. But some of you guys are life group leaders and I just don't want you to hold back. Don't hold back. Don't hold back and elevate. Don't hold back at King's Kids. Don't hold back in evangelism and your own home Bible studies. I think I said that, but you guys do so much, and it's time. It's time to go hard for Jesus. Amen? All right, I'm going to go ahead and present Sadia to you. She's awesome. Sadia has a powerful testimony. Also, we thank you, everybody, that has joined us online. Sadia has a powerful testimony of coming from the homosexual lifestyle. You can start coming up, sure. <laughs> coming from a homosexual lifestyle, um, dressing like a boy, wanting to change her gender, very confused, 
a lot of deception. I've been walking with her from the time that she got saved through a lot of the um, back and forth. And I've seen God do a miracle in her life. Um, so thankful for her testimony, for her faithfulness in Bible college. Can't believe we're finally at the end. Finally. Right? <laughs> we're finally here. But it's, it shows you that when you're faithful to something, you'll make it, right? And God has been faithful to you. So I'm going to go ahead and let you speak to our class. Oh, wow. Just praise God. You know, what a journey. You know what I'm saying? When she was talking about it's been a long journey. It's been seven years, going into eight years. I've been in SUM. And it, it, it was nothing else but the grace of God over my life, you know. I could have been handed over to my sin, but... You know, I really love that song, Capture, because it was his love that captured my heart. It wasn't homosexuality. It wasn't drugs. It wasn't the things of this world. It was his love that captured me. And the Bible says his love and kindness brings us to repentance. And, yeah, you know, touch base on my testimony. You know, I, I was a gay girl that met a good God. You know, I was in and out of gay bars. I was doing drag king nights. I would be performing for money. I wasn't stripping, but I was dressing as a man. And in that time... Um, in the gay bars on Roscoe's on Thursdays, you go there and you perform and, you know, you get dollar bills thrown at you. And I was like, man, this is the life. And then after you get off, you go do a line of Coke and they do it again. It was like the fun never stopped, but then the fun hit a wall. And I was like, man, I have nothing going for my life. I was in Bible college while doing this. And I love when the Bible says he will expose the things done in the dark. You can't have the Holy Ghost and live in sin peacefully. And that is something so personal I take because I cannot see myself going back there with the Holy Ghost now. Because back then, did I have the Holy Ghost? I don't think I did, to be honest, because you can't sin like that and have the Holy Ghost. But for me, um, it was just a way of living until my sin found me out. Lauren was in that beautiful parking lot back there and with Nancy. And, you know, she gave me the look and she said, I, she said, I know what you're doing. And, you know, when you get told, I know what you're doing you know, they know. So it's like, what do you know? I'm trying to play it off. But my sin found me out, but God found me. So I just love Jesus. So my ministry is LGBT for Christ. Um, I really do want to plant a ministry in the homosexual community. I love that Mission 77 is going to different areas, you know, preaching the gospel. But this one, I really want to focus on the gay community. This is something that's been on my heart. It's been burning on my heart. And um, just starting off, you know, what is homosexuality? I love this topic because in some people's mind, being homosexual is as much outside one's control as their color of their skin or their height. It's kind of, I am this way because of birth. Actually, you are this way because of confusion. You are this way because of deception. You are this way because you think you're this way. Um, as the Bible tells us that um, laying with one man is sin, you know, you cannot... You cannot out-design God out of his creation. He made one man, one woman for marriage. You know, two women cannot have a baby, two men cannot have a baby. So homosexuality is really outside of the design of God. Um, in doing this ministry, um, I was talking to my husband about it. And even though we'll be going out evangelizing, I really want to go inside the gay bars. And I know this can be a little controversial with some people, like, oh, we got minors, we got people that want to join us from Elevate, but this is where um, I really want to set up this ministry for the nitty-gritty. I really want to 
go out on Thursdays nights. Why Thursdays? Because those are the most biggest performing nights in the gay community. That is where drag queens come out, drag kings come out. That is where the dirty of the dirties come out. And it's from Thursday, 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. And I really want to get a team out there going on ministry nights and, you know, just preaching the gospel but really focusing on the ministry of homosexuality, of why do you think you are this way, and really talking to them. Um, and I, like I said, I really want to go inside of the gay bars, really go inside of the gay clubs. And this is where it is hard to conduct this ministry because there's so much going into a ministry, man. You know, TJ makes it look so good. He makes it look so easy. You know, let's all hit the streets, you know. Let's all preach the gospel, Jesus, you know. But for me, it's like, man, how are we going to do this? This is hard. And... My husband said to me really, really something that really hit hard. He was like, let's say you have a team going with you. They go inside the gay bar. Next thing you know, they stumble and they sin. That's on you. And now I had to come up with a new idea of, man, we can't go in the gay bar. I can't go in the gay bar. What are we going to do? Because I really wanted to go inside the gay bar. But there's nothing about waiting outside the gay bar. You know what I'm saying? When people are lining up and they're, and they're dressing up to go inside, we can preach to them out there. And I really want to um, uh, provide counseling for this ministry. Counseling is what really blessed me. Like Lauren said, when I was in Bible college, I had to step down and seek counseling help. And that blessed my heart because that was something that pff, I never knew there was that for that. I never knew there was Christian counselors for people that are confused about their identity. And that's what blessed me because even though I got saved, all my junk got aired out, why do I still feel like a boy in a girl's body? Why do I still feel like transitioning? I don't understand until I began to see a counselor, until I began to really get that professional help that just blessed my life. And recently calling the counseling place, their prices are $30 a session. And if we were to win someone from the gay community that still have this idea, that still have this urge, and, you know, one-to-one is doing great in their life, but they still have this necessity to become a man or become a woman, that is where this ministry does come into place because that is where my husband and I, we would love to fund three, mini, uh, three free sessions. That is something that blessed us in our marriage. So my husband and I are like, man, this blessed us. This can bless others. So if the session is three, is $30 and we're offering three, that's, what is that, like 90 bucks? But then again, let's say we win 10 people to the Lord and, oh, you know, we're all confused and everything. Then it's like, man, like, what are we going to do? You know, how are we going to do this? We can't look at people and be like, hey, you're part of this ministry. Put in money. No, that's where sponsoring comes in. That's where, that's where getting um, endorsements come in. That is where I do want to team up with other ministries in Chicago that do this. But some ministries offer that greasy grace. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, you're struggling. I'm struggling. Let's all struggle together. But the Bible says that he who sets, um, he, wait, I know this verse. I know this verse. It's in the book of John. I know this verse. Who the son sets free is free indeed. I got it. I got it. So that is where I really do want to focus on this ministry because it is important to really preach this correct gospel. There's other gospels out there. I remember being a homosexual and going out there and partying, and people will be saying, you know, F-A-G-S's will be burning in hell and repent. You know, there's no grace for you. And I thought to myself, there's no grace for me. I'm going to go to hell anyway. I'm going to make this my heaven. But then that's where I started coming to this church, and Pastor Joe said, um, anyone, who falls, anyone, who has fallen short of the, um, anyone who has fallen short in sin, needs the grace of God. So that kind of covered the multitude of sin in my life where I was like, man, he's not pinpointing one sin, he's pinpointing all sin. So that's where that comes in. My location of ideas to evangelize is Roscoe's Gay Bar, 3556 North Halstead. 
Sidetrack, 3349 North Halstead. And you can notice a lot of these gay bars are adjacent to each other because this is, what, this is how they conduct, you know, that community of partying and of sin and of homosexuality. It's like, oh, once I'm done with this bar, I'm going to hop over here to this bar, then I'm going to go to this bar. But I really do want to set up evangelism, kind of like if you've been to Mardi Gras, you know how they have like those nets in the middle of the street? That's kind of what I want to do. Because I love how you turn around and it's, boom, do you know Jesus? Like, ah, get away. And next thing you know, boom, do you know Jesus? So they're everywhere. You know, it's like a plague of us. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I really want to do. My ministry idea is getting 10 to 20 adults. No one under 18, you know, and elevate be like, I want to go, but you can't go. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> I don't want to go. But they can't go. You know, the Bible, but they can't. You know, many are called, few are chosen in this. And you are, have to be chosen. And the thing is, like I said, I want to go into the gay bars. That is something I'm really praying on. So you have to be 21 and over to do that one. But I can't bring in someone that has a pornography problem and they got delivered from that into a gay bar where if you've ever been to a gay bar, if not, praise God. If you have, you will understand that this is like, it's, it's so disgusting. But that's where they need Jesus. I want to meet up at the church at Metro Praise International around 530. You know, get training, worship, really praying the spear so that we're prayed up to go out there to preach. Um, for accountability, I love how... Uh, the Standing for Witchcraft ministry, uh, I love how they record every time they go out. I love that so much because it shows, like, we're not spewing hate. We're not spewing anything else but the gospel. And if anyone else says, well, so-and-so said we're going to burn in hell, so-and-so was right because he spoke it in context. But we have the recording, and we can watch it ourselves. Um, I really do want to make groups of four to five people and kind of, like, disperse them around the neighborhood. And... This will take place on Thursday nights from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. But on some nights, like the Gay Pride is coming up, that will be on Saturday, hopefully, from, let's say, 5 p.m. to 2 a.m. So we can always uh, fluctuate the time and the location fitting to this ministry. So if someone were to come to me and say, hey, can we go preach in the ghetto? No, we cannot because this is a ministry for the homosexual community. Um, or someone else says, hey, can we team up with this Methodist church? Okay, what do they believe in? Well, they affirm to this, no, we cannot because we're not going to hell with them, you know. So this is a ministry that I really want to focus on Jesus and bring in Jesus to these gay communities, but really the correct Jesus because there's so many different gospels out there, you know. There's uh, prosperity gospels, and there's gospels of a gay pastor, then there's Eve that became Steve. It is all, you know, wicked and crazy, but that's where the correct gospel comes in, the one that saves us. As Paul said, if anyone else comes to you presenting another gospel than the other one that you got saved, then it's a false gospel. So I really do want to um, just see this ministry come to, come to place in the gay community. So far, it is looking like it's going to take off in June 26, 2021. And then from there, we are going to start conducting weekly meetings. My husband and I, you know, we're going to start coming up with an idea of when to go out evangelize again. Like I said, it's most likely going to be Thursdays. Um, but that can always change depending on the team. So yeah, that's it, Lauren. Hey. Does anybody have any questions for Sadia? Awesome. Can you get the other mic for me, please? Hold on. Shh. Easy. Easy there. Easy there. She'll be 21 in like two, three years. Oh, she's 19. Go ahead. Hello. Okay. Question. Uh, how come... How come the, the gay community is, like, really out and about on Thursdays? How come? I thought, like, it would be Fridays or Saturdays. There's Thirsty Thursdays. Huh? Right? Thirsty what? Thursdays. Thirsty Thursdays. Thursday. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I love her, you know. This is, like, my mentor. I love my mom. You know what I'm saying? But, dude, 
Thirsty Thursdays are such a big deal in the gay community because you can get a dollar shot to a dollar beer. And also, those are the most attractive nights in the gay community for drag queen and drag king nights. I remember, we'll go to the bars on Tuesday and Monday, and it'll be like a drag. See what I did there? Oh. Ah! But it would be slow versus the attractions coming in on Thursday, like drag nights. And I mean, RuPaul will be coming in. and um, Yeah, bro, the real RuPaul. People from RuPaul will be coming in. Jordan Sparks performs on Thursday sometimes. So it was such a big deal to where... She supports it, unfortunately. But who, you know, who doesn't from Hollywood, you know? Hollywood needs Jesus. So that's where Thursdays will be such an attraction. Fridays, people can be like, oh, let's go out on Fridays. But Thursdays, like I said, are the big ones. Because if you go, viewers' discretion is advised. If you were to go on the gay community websites on Facebook, it will be, come in on Thursdays. We're having free admission, karaoke nights, including a drag night. There, it's really hard to find a gay bar that does not include drag nights on Thursdays. Yeah. Because like I said, that is the most attractive night. It's Thursday, Thursdays. People usually have Fridays off, depending where you work. But also, it is just a fun night in that community. So, yeah. Wow. Interesting. All right. Anybody else have a question? Malia. Hey. So, um, so would it be... I have a couple questions. Yeah. But would it be like um, the focus you said... It would be outside of the bars or actually like inside? We are, so answer to that, very good question um, for clarity. So my desire is to go in the gay bars. That is my heart's desire to go in there, but not go in there and like chanting Jesus, but right. going in there and seeing someone sitting by the bar. Hey, you know, what brings you here tonight? Oh, this and this. And then gauging the conversation with discernment and really preaching the gospel to them, but not bringing attention to yourself because we're not trying to get our cover blown, right? We're trying to be incognito, but we're also trying to stand out from the rest. And until that takes place, we will be evangelizing outside of the gay bars where the lines form, where people are eating and dining in that little area part, but also where people are in the traffic space of going to different locations. Okay, and so my next question is for when it is inside, like, kind of like Mardi Gras, like, we have to, we have rules, like, we have to look up or we have to look down because of just how they're dressed or what they're doing, like, out of guarding, like, people's eyes. So what would be your say on that? Yeah, great question um, and great statement. So I do agree with that, but also it could be hard, too, because let's say I'm paired up with a woman. Little do I know this woman can have sexual morality in her life that she got delivered out of, which, which could be homosexual or whatever the case may be, because it's not just women that are naked in there sometimes, it is men. So let's say it can go both ways of like, man, look down, oh, what's that? Look up, oh, what's that? So it could be, <laughs> so it could be hard to really gauge this idea of going in. So I think for right now, we're gonna put that on hold because my husband even said, you are accountable to these people. Let's say the first night is awesome, you're winning, you know, 200 to the Lord, but let's say the next Thursday you go out and everyone just sinned because of what's going on. So it is actually very hard to even gauge that. I know there's some ministries that go to these conventions that do naughty, icky things, but they're trained for that type of stuff. Would I say we are professionally trained? No. Um, would I say that we have good self-control? I do. But also the Bible says you are accountable of those that you are with. Amen. Thank you, Malia. Give it up for Sadia. We'll go ahead and um, ask her more questions later. We got to get to Oscar here. Oscar's awesome. 
He has a great testimony too. <laughs> All right, let's hear from you. So proud of you, brother. Thank you. So um, for this internship, really, oh, where's the mouse? Oh, there it is. I just saw it. Okay, there it is. Okay, so of course, uh, fatherhood is an important thing in my life, which is something I really wanted to focus on. And um, as many of you know, uh, my father wasn't always in my life, but there were small portions where he was in my life. Uh, only for about eight years he was in my life, but the thing was, it was on and off. So I don't really have too many memories of him. Most of the memories that I do have are memories of him being drunk and really not him being around. If I do have any good memories of him, it's probably like one or two. So I don't really have too many things. And I just really wanted to jump in it and uh, go biblically on why fatherhood is so important. So uh, the strategy I really took was focusing on fathers within the church and then looking at certain youth that did not have fathers in their life or youth that do have fathers in their life or youth that did not have a father but now have a father. So a lot of the examples I was looking at were like Josh or Andre in the church. And I was even looking at fathers that were already fathers like Vicente or even Andrew. Uh, so a lot of it was just from an outside perspective because I wanted to bring it within leadership, within discipleship to see what can be used and what can't be used when it comes to discipleship and how it's effective specifically to youth. And the thing was, uh, when I was going through this project, I completely felt like I bombed it. And, and like literally the direction I was going in, it didn't work out. But even though it didn't work out, I, f uh, I still learned things that can be applied. And it was just super awesome and super amazing. But Pretty much this is what the purposes I was going through when I was going through this project, uh, what, what fatherhood plays into a youth's life, because, of course, that, that was the main focus when it comes to youth. Does a father figure effective, uh, is it effective for discipleship for a teen, etc.? So is there a way to disciple a youth that don't, that don't have a father to be more effective in discipleship, of course? Does a father being absent encourage discipleship or discouraged? So these were just questions I was just going with. Uh, of course... Towards the end, um, not, not even these questions were answered. Some of them were, but in fact, other questions were answered that I wasn't even asking to begin with. So uh, these are all questions, like I said, that came to mind. When it came to discipleship for a teen boy, it isn't an unknown that many youth, uh, not just in Chicago, but throughout the world, are fatherless. It's a huge thing. Statistics say, um, I think it's like 7 in 10 uh, kids that face fatherlessness. I did have the statistics. I don't know if I have it in this slide, but I do have it in one of these slides. So teens are more likely to have behavioral problems that don't have a father within their lives. They're more likely to face abuse or neglect. They're more likely to abuse drugs or alcohol. They're more likely to go to prison, more likely to commit a crime, etc. These are things that are scary. We don't want youth, not just within Chicago, but throughout the world to go through it. Because as we see, you know, we read the news, uh, a 13-year-old kid got died, another 13-year-old kid got died, a uh, 12-year-old kid got died, a uh, 6-year-old kid got shot in the head. It's literally ridiculous on how many uh, youth today are just dying. And a huge aspect of this is because they're missing a father within their lives. And at times, it's not even just a father, but uh, a mother as well, which is interesting. Because, of course, being uh, the primary focus of having a father within the life I've also found uh, an extreme importance, you know, not that I never thought that having a mother wasn't important in the life, but it's really important not just to have the father in the life, but to also have the mother in the life, which I'm going to jump in in just a little bit. So, like I said, 
But how much does a father affect in discipleship? And it's crazy. It actually affects it very much. So this is just a graph that I have that shows uh, cognition, uh, how much it affects a child at the age of two. So both being supportive, a supportive mother, supportive father, and neither being supportive. So the cognition is pretty huge, even just having one parent or no parent, of course. Having no parent, the cognition is really no. And for those of you that don't know what cognition is, I actually put up the definition here. The mental action or process of acquiring knowledge and understanding through thought, experience, and the senses. So youth that don't have a father in general, of course, it really starts at a young age. And for me, I was, I wouldn't even say eight was when my father really left my life. I was probably even younger than that because I, would, I wouldn't even see him half the time. I would ask my, myself, uh, when is my dad coming home? I want to see him. And a lot of times, you know, I would try to stay up late as long as possible and I never got to see him. But it's a sad thing to see that how much a father within the life of a youth affects them throughout the rest of their life. And this is another thing that literally I wasn't targeting, but I, I got to saw how much a father not just affected a youth like later on. So like, you know, for AJ and Josh, uh, I actually have them, I mentioned them in, in a couple of these slides, how Josh came into AJ's life, at, you know, and he was still a young age. And we see that AJ grows. But then I saw how much a father affects uh, older people as well. Because I start to see like Jorge going to Josh's house, TJ going to Josh's house, and how much Josh was just pouring into them and how it affected them in general. For them being grown men and, uh, you know, Jorge did have his father. I don't know what the backstory is with his father, but when I would talk to him, you know, it doesn't seem like his father was fully supportive of him in uh, certain areas of his life. And same thing with TJ. TJ did not have a father in his life. And then when Josh came in and started, you know, getting the nitty-gritty out, you know, they grew as men of God and not just as teens. They didn't have to be teens for them to have a father in their life for them to grow. But they could also be grown adults, which, you know, I thought was pretty crazy because I wasn't even focusing on that. I was really focusing on teens, and I saw that. So how much can it affect the youth? Children who lose father to death or are incarcerated usually suffer more than those who have uninvolved fathers. And this was a statistic I just didn't almost believe because I've never, you know, I've never met uh, another person that's had a father that's been incarcerated. But I just can't imagine what they go through. When being away means being behind bars, kids face an additional challenge, uh, sometimes more serious than ones than what they have would have faced had their fathers died or left due to divorce. And then one of the most sober findings of the fragile family studies is that when a dad is far away, there's relatively little he can do so he can have a positive influence on his children. So even having a father that's uh, not in the family, you know, divorced families, fathers, you know, even though the father is separated, they tend to not have a positive impact. They tend to not pour into the youth and they tend not to grow. Because uh, th this is another thing I found. It's very important for families to be united. You know, uh, you know, and just interviewing Tina specifically, because Tina was the one I really dove deep into. I talked to her about families, and she just talked about it. And this is literally a thing. God did not, did not design children just to have one parent in their lives. You know, the process of making a child does not take one, but it takes two. And it's important to have both figures within the family, not just the mother and not just the father, but having both the mother and the father within the child's life. And this is the best thing that's going to help them grow. 
So the focus, of course, the focus is to get them in discipleship, see what as a leader, as we could do as leaders to implement in discipleship so that they may grow. And of course, uh, ultimately, we just have to be, uh, we have to bring that aspect of a father, we have to bring that aspect of a mother in order for them to grow. But the thing is as well, I mentioned a little bit, that um, us being a father does not determine that they're going to follow Jesus or not. That's the thing. It just doesn't determine if they want to follow Jesus, if that's the primary focus, if they want to stay in discipleship. Though having that aspect within their life does have a huge influence in their life, it really comes back to a hard issue of what they want. Uh, do they want to follow Jesus? If they do, their heart will show it, and their heart will be receptive towards those that want to uh, disciple them, those that want to correct them, and those that just want to walk through this path of Jesus Christ with them. If their heart is not in it, their heart is hardened, if they don't have a heart of flesh, and even having a father within their life is not going to change much for them. Though it may change, uh, have influence in their choices, it's not going to determine if they're going to be saved or not. It's literally between him, uh, that individual and Jesus. So, like I said, Tina and her children were a huge influence on uh, pretty much where I want to go within this direction. So, looking at them, you know, Tina, I met her a little over 10 years ago. I was probably like 11 when I first met her and her children. I met AJ and Isis. They did not have a father within their lives. And uh, just remembering them growing up, you know, uh, for those children that don't have a father within their life, they just tend to think that they could do whatever they want. And the same thing with their cousins. I knew their cousins. They tend to think that they could do whatever they want. They weren't disciplined. They didn't know what was right or wrong. Uh, and they just have this aspect of thinking that they could almost do whatever they want. And speaking of Tina, she kind of told me that, Growing up, she kind of almost let them do whatever they want. She didn't almost argue with them. But, you know, of course, being a mother, she watched over them. But she, in a sense, she didn't have full control. She only did so much. And which I thought was interesting because when Josh came into her life, Josh was an absolute blessing because not only did it change uh, AJ's and Isis's life, but uh, Tina also said that having Josh within the family also changed her life and changed her bad habits and bad manners. And um, it just goes to show how much a father affects uh, the mother as well and the mother affecting the father. So it really is um, not just a one-sided thing, but it's like literally supporting one another. So, uh, you know, it really takes both ends to not only so uh, benefit benefit the child, but benefit the family as a whole. So that's a that's that I guess that's that's where I kind of failed. It didn't just focus on youth alone, but it focused on families in general. But like I said, uh, having that aspect of being father and a mother within discipleship does have a huge influence within the disciples' life, and uh, you know potentially you know help them in the near future. Because like I said, you could be a grown adult, uh, and it change your life. You know TJ's. I think 22. I'm 23. Jorge's uh, 20, right? 20. And even being at these ages, I still see that having the leaders that have that fatherhood aspect could still be super beneficial to our lives. They ha still have a lot to pour into us, and there's still a lot for us to learn. And I believe that even being at an older age, that the men of God, the men in the church, these godly men, have so much to teach. Uh, people in general on what it's like to be a man, what it's like to be a father, what it's like to be an, uh, a not even a team boy, but a man of God. 
because AJ has grown so much. Literally, uh, you know, I disciple him now, and I see how well-mannered he is. I remember him as a kid. He kind of made fits. He did whatever he wants. Now AJ makes his own bed. Uh, Josh teaches him how to cook. He does his own laundry. This, and the thing is, I don't even do my own laundry, so uh, that's, that's amazing. You know, my mom still does my laundry. You know, bless her heart. She needs to teach me, though, so. Um, but growth, so like I said, it is just so amazing to see how much a father affects them overall. And it's such a blessing because I, I believe that everybody in the church and outside the church should have a desire to have a father within the church because I know not having a father within my life always wanted me to be a, a father as well. And not only that, but when I have children of my own, you know, I've always told myself that I know my, my dad wasn't around to father me as a child, but uh, I don't want to do the same thing that he couldn't do for me that I want to have children as well, that I want to be there supportive of him, that I don't want them to go through the same thing as I did and say, uh, when is my dad going to be home? When am I ever going to see him? Because literally all, most of the memories that I have of him, like I said, are him being drunk. The worst the memory that I've ever had was uh, being in school. We had Jim outside on the playground. And literally we see, uh, I saw a bum on the bench. At least I thought it was a bum. And then when I got a closer look, it was my dad, and he was drunk. He was, you know, he was barely getting sober. I was embarrassed. He took me out of school. And the thing was, I remember that day, I wanted to stay in school just because I didn't want to be around him at that time. And when we got home, he just fell asleep, and I was alone in the house for the rest of the day until my mom and my brothers came home. But literally, if I had him in my life, I do believe that uh, I would have been well-mannered earlier in my life growing up. And... Uh, this is important, and I wish he taught me things that I didn't teach. You know, and see, you know, seeing Vicente as a father as well. And literally, this was an example that I saw yesterday. And I know this is a good thing. You know, I seen him talking to his son, correcting him, because his son was having a small fit. You know, and uh, Vicente said that no, he had to correct it there on the spot, because if he doesn't correct it there and let him know that it's not okay in the future, as he grows up, he's going to tend to do things that he thinks it is okay, but it's not okay. And then he's not going to be receptive towards authority. He's not going to be a set, uh, receptive towards leaders that want to correct him so that he doesn't uh, do these things outside the church. So like I said, tough love, that's a, that's a thing that really needs to be implemented in them. It's, uh, you know, like I said, it's never a good, it never feels good at first to uh, get corrected at first or even get rebuked at first. But the thing is, it's very beneficial to, like I said, not just teens, but overall, just people in general. Because a lot of the times, we don't know what we're doing wrong. Uh, I, I said this, I think, a fri I forgot which Friday I was preaching, but uh, we tend to tell ourselves that it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, until uh, we have authority to tell us that it's not okay. And that's the same thing with God. So we tend to... Uh, do everything that people tell us is okay, but then God tells us and corrects us that it's not okay, that we need to stop it, which is why implementing and being tough on people is an important aspect, and, uh, you know, it's crucial within discipleship as well, because if we don't do that, like I said, people are just going to do whatever they want. They're going to think it's okay. They're going to think they're right with God, and literally, that's going to define the rest, almost the rest of their life if they don't get corrected right there and then. So what scripture says about fathers and the families? So I put up a couple of scriptures so we know that it's a biblical thing to have fathers within the family, that I'm not just pulling it out my, you know, out the back of my pocket and you guys are going like, where are you guys getting this from? So Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up 
uh, in dis- the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Proverbs 22.6. Start children off on the way that they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it, which is what Vicente did. He corrected his son. So when they get old, they won't turn away from uh, Scripture and they won't turn away from what, what his, uh, you know, Vicente taught his child at a young age. Fathers in the homes is important. T- uh, you know, Tina says that, uh, that it was never meant for one parent to raise a child, but it was meant for both mother and father, which is why I was mentioning it a little bit earlier. But, you know, so pretty much the reflection, like I said, um, the direction I really was really going with this didn't really work out because I'm, like, I'm going to focus on teens. I'm going to focus on boys specifically. But like I said, it wasn't really a teen thing or a boy thing, but it was a spiritual aspect that really just impacts everybody because the father is just so important within the family and a mother is just as important within the family. Take those two aspects out, the child's probably not going to end up in a very good place. And like I said, when it comes to that, we don't want that for not only children outside in Chicago or in the world, but we want that for, we don't want that for anybody in the world to Grow up having no parents, being a prideful to authority because uh, they didn't have a parent or a mother uh, that wanted to give up on them or, you know, were addicted to drugs and just weren't in their life. Because you could still have a parent within your life and then them just not giving you attention could literally change the youth overall. And that's pretty much from my reflection. The next slide is pretty much the my bibliographies and links I was really leaning towards. But any questions? Any questions? You right there in the black. Just checking if it's on. I'm just checking if it's on. So let's say, um, so I know this is more for young men, but let's say there's young women that don't have a father figure. Would you then, um, I guess, like share this idea with the women in like youth ministry and everything? Yes, so I wouldn't really say a uh, female has to have, you know, be a father because that's kind of weird. You know, I guess that goes back to <laughs> what you're, you're aiming for. But uh, when it comes to women, I feel like they really have to have an aspect of a mother. And not only that, but they have to have an authority like a father and let them know that, hey, um, you know, we need to get down to the nitty gritty stuff that it's not okay. Because I wouldn't even say a father because mothers do that as well. I've seen, you know, Lauren correct her children when, uh, th- you know, correct their children, but then I don't see Andrew doing it the same. And it's okay, you know, because she knows how to do it. She knows how to fill that role as well. You know, just like uh, the father, even though we call him father, he, he knows how to fill in the role of a mother, which is why we could rely on him, but yet we don't call him mother, you know? Does that, does that make sense? Okay. So can you hand her the mic? But basically, yes, a father's role is just as important for a girl that it is for a boy. Obviously, I was a single mom of a girl. Tina's a single mom of a boy. Um, and their life changes completely when there's a father in the home. And which is, you did a great job. Really, this is amazing. Um, I'll let you do it, and then I'll, I'll talk. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so how women look up to their mom, right, uh, it's not the same as their dad, right? But the father figure is supposed to kind of represent, like, the guy that the, that the girl should marry, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, like a, as an image of a, of a gentleman, right? Mm-hmm. 
So it's just, uh, I don't know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Like, would you agree? Like, uh, that's I'm how. I'm confused on the second <laughs> question. <laughs> sure. I mean, I can't. Okay, you can go for it. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yes, a man is a very important role in a girl's life because he could teach her how she should be treated and also help with her self-confidence, right? So when my dad tells me I'm pretty, I don't have to go as a little girl looking at for other places, right? My dad thinks I'm beautiful. And then as I grow up with that type of mentality, I'll understand how a man should should treat me also, right? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. really important. And fathers all around are just important for boys or for girls. Um, and I love just how you connected that with like even older men. And that's what's so beautiful about the church because a lot of you in this room haven't had fathers or mothers. I didn't grow up with a mom because she died at five. But there's roles, obviously nobody could take the place of my mom, but there are women in the church that have taken on that role that have helped me become a better wife, a better mother, a better woman, all those things. So it's great, that connection. It's all about the church. The church takes that place. Go ahead, uh, Marco. So my question is going to be, um, do you think it's essential for um, actual real fathers to be part of a youth group? Because I can think about my life where when I first started coming to Elevate, I had Humberto, who was my father figure and my mentor. And later on in my early adulthood, which was like 18, um, I had Pastor Berto, who I saw another father figure in my life. But my question is going to be based off, like, um, do you think it's more essential to have father figures in a youth group? Because, you know, you could have, like, a, you know, like, well, not father figure, but actual father, real dad, someone who raised kids, like, in a youth group. Because, sure, you can have father figures. I had, like, you know, um, Joby or Lawrence as, like, more like brothers to me than actual, you know, father figures. Because we're so, we're so close in age. But once again, do you think it's essential for a real dad who had, like, who has kids to be in a youth group? So, yes and no. I, I, you know, I believe that having a real father within the youth ministry does help a lot because uh, now people, you know, people tend to see it. He's like, hey, this this person's a father. They they know what it's like being a father, so they know they're gonna know how to father me. But I also believe that people who who aren't fathers as well are still gonna fill in that same role. Um, is I, you know, like I said, it's beneficial to have a real father within there because they already understand how it is to. Um, you know, discipline a child, to teach a child. And now they could bring what they learned over to the youth ministry, teach them. But then that's where uh, people have never been fathers need to learn how to do. So like I said, I've never been a father before, of course. So for me, I would have to learn that role and now be able to fill in this exact same role that Vicente would as a father versus me never being a father. Does that answer your question? Okay. That's awesome. Yep. All right. So that's the role of the church, right? That's why the church is so important because we do fill in those roles for people. Um, you know, it's like you you need a mother, find a mother around here. You know, you don't you don't necessarily have to go to your own mom. A lot of you guys, your mom's not saved and she's not going to give you the same advice that that I would give you or Nancy or somebody else in the church. So the even Jesus said, "Who are my mother and my brother?" right? It's those who do the will of God. So we are family in this place, um, and that's so, that's so great that he highlighted your family. So thank you for all that you do, and it is huge just to see the difference in even the grown people's lives as they mature, as we take on that role in their lives, right? Praise God. That was such a powerful, I think he left because he has to go back to work, 
But that was such a powerful presentation. Does anybody else have um, questions for Sadia before we close out? Or did everybody get their questions out? Okay, if you can. Mike, Mike. Oh. So, Sadia. Great job, Oscar. Oh, yeah, great job, Oscar. Woo. You're awesome. Aww. Look at that. They're getting married soon. Look at them. Well, how many days? 16? Y'all didn't even know that. You need to do a countdown. It's honestly, time to count down. Honestly. <laughs> I'm sorry. Please come to the stage, madam. Madam. Great job. Uh huh. Go ahead. Um, I guess it's more of a personal question. Mm. Um, I guess just <laughs> how did you just become gay? You know, like did you just grow oh. up in a in a you know in a family situation where how it was like accepted? Yeah. Wow, uh, that's a good one. You know, I, I really love Oscar's presentation because I want to say I converted to lesbianism because it is a convert. You do choose to do this uh, because of a lack of a father, right? So I wasn't a femme gay. I wasn't a, a straight, you know, hair, let me do my makeup. I was a masculine gay because I wanted to fulfill a role that I never had in my life. So I would do that role to other girls. It's like when you know a familiar spirit, you're going to go after it, right? So I would know these girls that have daddy issues, and I have daddy issues. I'm trying to be my own father. Let me be that masculine role in your life. So it really came down from a point of insecurity, of lack of self-esteem, of not knowing my worth, not knowing my confidence, and because of not having a father figure, getting sexually abused at a young age, and really taking that hatred out that I had on myself and others, and a role that I was trying to fulfill in my life. Wow, okay. Wow. That was really good. That was really good, yeah. We really appreciate that. Um, the other thing that I love is just seeing uh, like Sadia and Oscar give these presentations and talk about their past. And then just you're able to see like the grace of God so much because now it's like God has given them the opportunity to raise families and never like their children never have to experience what they experienced, you know, like it's just a, they're, they're changing the history of their family. They're changing the for generations to come. And that's God's mercy. That's his grace. That's his forgiveness, his love, his kindness. It's so powerful. All of you in this room, it's like no matter what we have faced, we get now the opportunity to do things according to the Bible and do things right, right? You never have to see divorce in Jesus' name. You never have to um, have your children sexually abused around people that you don't trust. I mean, all of us have a testimony that we can point back in and say, man, like our children get to grow up with the fear of the Lord. What a, what a privilege, right? Thank you, Jesus. Does anybody else have any questions? Or we'll just close out. Good? <laughs> All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this day, God. We thank you for Oscar and Sadia who are coming on the end of their Bible college journey, God. We thank you for their faithfulness. We thank you, God, that you have been faithful to them. I pray that they would be an encouragement to the rest of the student body right now. 
God, that if they remain faithful, if they stay the course, God, that they will come to this point of graduation also. God, I thank you for their powerful testimonies. I thank you, Lord, for their powerful uh, presentations. And I just pray everything that was put into their heart throughout these last this last trimester or the last three trimesters doing internship, God, I pray that you would bring it to into your reality. I pray that you would help Oscar to be a father to the youth that he is discipling, that you would help him, oh God, even though he has that lack in his own life, God, you are the best father. I pray that he would be able to continue to pull from you, God, so that he can be that father to a, a fatherless generation, God. And I pray for Sadia, Lord, this ministry that has been burdened on her heart, I pray, God, that it will become a reality. I pray, Lord, that it will be now put into action and that we would see many people saved from the LGBTQ community, God. We declare it in this church, oh God, that we will see many more people, Lord, from the homosexual lifestyle, many people that have already changed their gender, God. I pray that you would bring them in by the multitudes, Lord, through the work that Sadia and Michael will put into this ministry. We thank you, Jesus. And we give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Come on, give it up for the Lord.